Welcome to The Winsome Creationist, where we explore God's world using a model-building approach, interact with a gracious tone, and take a firm stand on the literal truth of creation found in God's Word. Join host Steve Schramm and occasional guest as they explore the mysteries and majesties from creation to the flood, Babel to the cross, and everywhere in between. And now, here's your host. Hello, my friends. Welcome into another episode of The Winsome Creationist. Hey, this week I have for you an interview that actually I recorded a while ago on my um, on my old podcast, and I wanted to resurrect it because it's a fantastic interview with my friend Pat Mingarelli, who is a um, creation enthusiast and a photographer and um, knows just a lot about God's beauty and exploring creation, and he's so passionate about nature. And so in this conversation with him, we talk about objective beauty in God's creation and just being able to get out and experience God's creation in better and deeper ways. So I hope and I pray that you enjoy this particular episode. If you're watching on YouTube, this one's audio only, so there's no video and you'll forgive me for that, I, I pray. Um, and uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with another fantastic episode for you. Have a couple great interviews lined up in the can, and I'm excited about getting those out to you. All right, God bless, and I hope you enjoy this interview with my friend, Pat Mingarelli. All right, I'm pleased to have my friend and co-laborer in ministry, Pat Mingarelli, here on the podcast with me. Welcome, Pat. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Steve. Good to be here. All right. I'm super, super excited about this. We're going to be talking about beauty in creation. And uh, and I just, I'm not going to give you any spoilers because I'm looking forward to Pat just diving into this here in a minute. It's going to be really fun. But uh, hey, Pat, why don't you first off just tell us a little bit about your ministry? Of course, you can give us, um, you know, links and all to it. But but um, just tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do, why you do it, and uh, why you think it's, uh, you know, important. Okay. Uh, well, give you a little, you know, background is I am a professional photographer. I have been fascinated with photography all my life. Um, uh, you know, I was back as a kid, I always wanted to take pictures. And when I was eight, nine years old, of course, there was no digital cameras back then. And my mom wouldn't let me take pictures, but eventually got my own little, yeah, <laughs> like you can't once in a while she would, but most of the time she did. It's funny. Uh, and finally, uh, I got a camera for my birthday, and it was, you know, just a little black box with a hole in it. Didn't ha- it didn't even need a battery. Uh, it was that's pretty much what it was. It was an old one ten camera. Maybe some of your li- uh, listeners will recognize what that was. And uh, by the time I was ready for high school, while well, I was a senior in high school, I got my first thirty five millimeter film camera. And, uh, I started taking a class in high school and knew I wanted to go to college for that. And, uh, so I went to a two-year art school first. Then I went to a journalism school and I got a degree in photojournalism, worked for a few newspapers and then a magazine, a Christian magazine. I worked for a Christian magazine for a long time. Um, it was called Worldwide Challenge. It was part of uh, what's called Crew now, but at the time I worked was with it was Campus Crusade for Christ, and I was a photographer for that magazine. Uh, well, way back as a kid, while well, I first had this budding interest in photography, I had this budding interest in nature and wildlife and things like that. And uh, that time, I dreamed of being a 
a nature photographer, which kind of got me moving in that direction. But as I said, I wound up in journalism. And as a journalist, uh, the magazine I was with would send me places to document Christian ministries and what was going on. And I'd always find myself on the, where I had some downtime. I'd look for the local nature preserve and, or if there was a national park or state park, I'd go there and take pictures on my downtime. Uh, yeah. One time I was doing the beach, doing a beach ministry photo shoot. And, uh, uh, I was done with the shoot. There were some girls doing evangelism on the beach and I was photographing that from a distance. And then I just started to photograph seagulls of all things, but that's where I was. So anyways, I've always had this call back to, to nature, call to the wild with trendy word this time, uh, with the new movie out. Um, but, uh, I, I decided to, uh, kind of, God was calling me to celebrate him as creator. Uh, through photography that those of us who know God would know him deeper. And for those who do not know God, that they would come to know him. And I started something called Wild Heart Photography and eventually led into a speaking ministry called The Creation Speaks. Uh, and that led into uh, another ministry as a side that I really focus on now called the, the Visual Bible Verse of the Day. And I'd like to say is, and I, I have this on my website where I talk about, I'm an experienced professional photographer, and I'd like to say an outdoor enthusiast, and I help people connect with God through my nature photography. And of course, his word, uh, and I do this so they may better understand his power, his majesty and authority. And that's kind of what the website does. And it, it, it and it's an encourages and inspires people on their, their daily walk through God's word and God's creation. Yeah, so, that's great. What a background. <laughs> sorry, I, mean, I gave you a little I don't know if you wanted all that, but no, that's no, that's wonderful. That's that's that man, that's super helpful to to kind of get a window uh a window into your world and what a worthy calling I think that is. I mean, uh you kinda I, I could I, I got a sense there for just, you know, having that kind of that itch that needed to be uh, scratched, you know, when you're going out and doing the stuff for work, but then you take a minute to go off on the nature trail and, 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 and grab photos of, of your real passion there. I mean, that's, that's really, um, amazing. It's really beautiful. It's an, an awesome story. And I'm glad that, uh, it seems to me that throughout the life of the work that you have done throughout your professional career as a photographer, that God's really been able to use you for different things. Yes. So, Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you, you kind of run this website now, the visual verse of the day, and, and that's where you're placing basically your, uh, your Bible verse along with a photo and, uh, and, you know, a couple little thoughts basically every day uh, or every weekday at least, right? Yeah, six, six days a week. Six just days a week. Symbolically don't have one comes out on Sunday as a Sabbath symbol, but uh, sure, sure. also gives me a rest from <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. When I can, when I can, I try to you know, do them ahead of time, but you know, such as life, you can't always do them ahead of time. So absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's absolutely great. And uh, for anybody who's been following the work that I've done for any number of, uh, I don't know, any period of time, I've actually had Pat, uh, do a couple guest blogs on, uh, on, uh, on the, on our website, stevestram.com. So I'll put those links in the show notes along with a bunch of links to different things that Pat does and things that we'll be talking about today. And, uh, so I'm excited to, to dive in. So 
what what we're going to do here is, is dive into a um to some thoughts that Pat has on beauty in creation. And, and if I can just, I don't know, maybe introduce the topic a little bit. Uh you know, it's it's a difficult thing. I was telling Pat before we got on uh to the call here. It's a difficult thing for some people and I'm one of those people to objectify beauty and not that I don't think it can be objective and not that I don't think it is objective I actually think it is I just can't really I couldn't really give you a good argument for it right now maybe I need to study more uh but that's one of the things I think that Pat is going to really really talk about how there's this idea of beauty in nature that is something that would not really make sense um on a kind of naturalistic world world view it's something that seems to require that there was a creator in nature so uh, I'm going to interject my thoughts um, here and there, but Pat's the expert, so for the most part, I'm going to kind of let him run with it and um, and tell you all just about the beauty that we see in nature and the beauty we see in creation. So um, take it away, Pat. It's all you. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, and feel free to interject uh, um, if you want to have me talk on something a little deeper or sure. try to catch your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I... As I began to spend more time outside, you know, I just kind of gave it to a nutshell, but there's a, a lot of time that I, I spent outside. And I ban- began to realize as I was, was taking this journey, or even before I took the ja- journey of celebrating God as creator, I realized that God speaks to us through his creation, and, his, and the creation speaks to us about God. And it, and it declares to our heart soul and mind things about God. And when we spend time in creation and we study it and we enjoy it and we think about God in it, we can, we can grow in our knowledge and worship of God. And one way, as I mentioned, creation speaks to our heart. And I believe just to kind of touch on the other ones where I said the heart, soul, and mind, uh, which is, which is what I began to explore as I started this ministry called the creation speaks. And then the visual, the visual verse is that um, when creation speaks to our mind, it, it does so through what you really touch on on your website a lot is through science and through philosophy. Uh, we, you know, we see that design in nature and it's obvious that we, we see it. Um, and when we're honest, we'll see that design. Even, even atheists mention they'll use the word design. I remember there's a quote by, um, uh, Dawkins, right? Is it Dawkins or I get them? Uh, yeah, Dawkins about if we see a design, we we have to that says something about seeing the design in nature, but we have to put that out of our mind because there is no purpose or design to it. Something like that. It, it's Stephen Hawking's or uh, Richard Dawkins, one of them. If I get the names right there, I get them mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I forget the exact quote here, but. Um... Um, but what Dawkins said, and I might actually, might actually have it here. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, I'm not seeing it, but, um, but basically what Dawkins said, uh, oh, here it is. Biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed appearance, for yes. a purpose. And then he kind of goes on to argue that they were not actually designed for a purpose. They just appear that way, which is okay. If, yeah. Sure. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it, the designs, the, it speaks to our, our mind. It tells us, you know, there's got to be somebody there. 
So creation speaks to our mind. And then it speaks to our soul through God's word. Uh, the Bible mentions, there are a lot of verses about, everybody's familiar with Genesis. All believers are familiar with Genesis, but the, and how it talks about God's creation. But the Bible ta actually talks a whole lot more about creation beyond the pages of Genesis and God's interaction with it and God's design with it. So creation speaks to our soul when we read about it in the word, word of God. Um, and uh, I actually have a devotion that I'm working on that's uh, beyond Genesis. And it's examining scriptures on creation beyond the pages of Genesis. So there's there, there's that the Bible's rich with metaphors and uh, God's hand in creation. It's all over, uh, especially in the Psalms and things like that. So yeah, actually, I think some of those verses that are, uh, as you say, beyond Genesis, uh, some of those verses are more descriptive about the nature of creation and, yes. and, and in the way that it kind of interacts with the, well, in the, in the way that we interact with nature. Um, and I mean, Genesis is great, I, I think, for learning about um, how everything came to be and uh, even somewhat of the purpose of it. But uh, the rest of Scripture has a whole lot to say, as you said, about, about the nature of creation and how we interact with God's creation and how it tells us more about God. Yes. So it, there's a lot, there's a lot there. And uh, so it speaks to our soul. And in the last area, as I mentioned, heart, soul, and mind. So the heart, uh, I believe, is the predominant way creation speaks to us. It, it, we don't need to be, have a large knowledge about science to know that creation's telling us something about God. I mean, it wasn't until the last 50 years that the common man got to know science and Genesis and things like that. Uh, but, you know, hundreds of years ago, people didn't know science, the average person, but God spoke to his, through his creation. Uh, it's, uh, it's when we, you know, see a bee or a butterfly on a flower and something speaks to our heart about God, or when we hear a clap of thunder. And that just is a tiny, tiny touch of the power of God in that thunder. Or it's when we go to a national park or stand on a mountaintop or, or a hilltop or, and we see this vast beauty and majesty of nature and it speaks to our heart about God. Uh, and so beauty speaks to our heart and tells us something about God. Um, and today we want to say that, you know, I don't know exactly how old the quote comes from is and where it comes from but we we all hear it that, that beauty is in the eye of the beholder and that's really not true that's a myth about beauty uh and it actually tells us more about the beholder than it does about the beauty because it tells us more about the person who thinks something is beautiful than what the object is actually beautiful huh um so it's a good thought yeah and, and so beauty Beauty is more objective than that. It's, there's something about it. Um, it starts, beauty, the, the, the Greeks used to say that, you know, when they had a better idea of beauty, talking about proportion and order and uh, things like that, which were, were part of beauty. Uh, and if, if we really want to know with, uh, what beauty is, uh, 
you know, we have to start with God. God is the author of life. Uh, so he's the author of beauty. Because we, if we're looking at what beauty is, because if beauty is the eye in the eye of the beholder, then what it what is beauty? I mean, some people beauty might be a car. Beauty is in a face, or beauty is in a sculpture, or beauty for me is in nature. So what what is beauty? Uh, you know, I don't I'm not too much into thinking a car is beauty, right? But I'm thinking nature's beauty. So what what is is there? So there's, there, if we're going to start with God, he gives us a strong foundation of what beauty is. Um, and when we, we dig a little deeper into that, we could, I, well, when I teach uh, some photo classes on composition, uh, I like to tell my students that beauty is not in the eye of the beholder. It's a, beauty is a mathematical formula. You know, and people are like, what? Because <laughs> I always thought it was in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> But uh, there is something called the Fibonacci series um, or the divine potion, which is a, which is a number sequencing sequence, sequencing that turns out into a beautiful image. And it starts off, it goes one, one, two, three, five, eight, 13, 21. And it keeps building from there. And it's uh is an Italian, the Greeks knew about it, but they didn't, they couldn't put it all together. But there was an Italian monk who actually figured out the, the formula and his name was Fibonacci. And it's, it's in all things that we see as beautiful. Um, there have been diagrams on people's faces that you could go on, uh, on online, say beauty diagram face Fibonacci or something, look those up and you'll see uh, the lines, how, how people, how Faces are measured out. Even Leonardo da Vinci and his, um, now it's escaping me, that, uh, the man, it's something man with the, with the guy with the outstretched hands and arms and legs. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's escaping me too, that I know what it's you're talking called about. Man, oh, is, is it Renaissance man? It's not Renaissance no, man, is it? He's the Renaissance man, but there's a, uh. <laughs> when I teach my photography classes on composition, I see it and I just can't come up with it um, right now. And I don't want to say the wrong thing, but that is all about the Fibonacci sequence. If you look at that picture of oh, Vitruvian, um, yeah, Vitruvian, like that. Yeah, Vitruvian man. Yeah, um, I don't know how, if I'm saying it right, but I'm saying yeah. it like Vitruvian or Vitruvian. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that's that. If people could go and look that up, they'll see he's playing with those numbers, and you can see how hmm. uh, uh, math is actually part of beauty because it's. It's part of it is proportion and sequencing. Um, yeah, um, just to, to to you know, just to dive in on that a little bit. Um, that is a a very a prominent feature. I mean, I do so. You know, the work that I do primarily outside of uh, you know ministry work, and I do some IT work, but is uh, website design, and so I'm 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 big into design. And uh, a lot of people call this the golden ratio. It kind of is the golden a, ratio is another name for it. Yep. Yeah, it, it's a it, it is it does seem to be. I find it very persuasive uh, that it seems to to be this kind of um, th this pattern that you observe all over nature, and it's no surprise that people use this um, in design uh, to to create <laughs> objectively beautiful things. I mean, uh, I mean. Yeah. It's really amazing. Actually, I, just the other day, um, I uh, listened. It's an incredible piano piece on YouTube. 
what somebody did was they took the Fibonacci sequence and they mapped chords on the piano. They mapped notes on the piano to the numbers and basically just played the sequence. Um, so they matched notes on the scale to the numbers in the Fibonacci sequence and wow. played it on the right hand. And then on the left hand, they would come back and do the harmony over top of it. And it was just, to say it was objectively beautiful almost doesn't do it enough justice. It was absolutely the most gorgeous thing I've ever heard played on a piano. So I, I really think there's something to that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, recently, uh, I filed uh, the Break Breakpoint podcast, and they recently did something on the, uh, a violin player in a, in a subway. I wish I should have. Uh, I, I didn't think of that when I was, uh, I could have brought that up. Uh, and looked at it a little better about how how the beauty of this in a subway it was kind of interesting. But uh, going back to the the Fibonacci sequence, the the golden ratio, the golden ratio leads into the golden mean, the golden spiral, and the golden mean. The golden spiral yeah. is what we find in the typical example given in nature is the Nautilus shell, mm. but it's also in the sunflower when you see at the if you if you look at a uh, a sunflower, uh, a garden sunflower is actually a lot of tiny little flowers called florets, and they spiral in this golden mean spiral. And so does a ram's horn, and so many other things in nature. And because the uh, the the golden ratio, mean spiral, all that works in a spiral, but it also works sh straight. Uh, um, in a, in a linear line. Uh, when I give my photography classes, I show a picture of an elk and I show how the elk, elk's legs uh, are all in this proportion of Fibonacci from the, the ankle joint and in the different joints in the, to the hip and to the knee. And then I also show how the elk from head to tail is in that same proportion. And when we look at this elk, everybody's going to say, wow, that's a beautiful animal. And it's because it's all in these proportions and it's really quite amazing. So it is everywhere. And that, and God being the author of all life designed that and put that into things to, to, uh, some people like to say it's the fingerprint print of God in all creation. So it's, it is in the things we see beautiful that's in there. Uh, so it's objectifying beauty. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. And, and when I say we have to start with God, cause he is the author of all life and all things and all creation. And the Bible, uh, calls him, it says the beauty of the Lord in Psalm 27, four, uh, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Um, so if, if God is beautiful and the author of all things beautiful, then real Beauty is something way beyond what we see with our eyes. Uh, it, God's not physical, so he doesn't possess a physical beauty. And in the end, beauty is not physical. Uh, what we see as beautiful with our eyes is just a representation or a shadow of what beauty is truly like. Uh, it's pointing us beyond that. Um, when we see you know, it's, it's kind of odd when we see a beautiful person, a beautiful woman, uh, we think, 
wow, she's got to be awesome. And we base this on a physical appearance. Yeah, we know that's not true because you see like some of the most physically beautiful, beautiful people in the world are actors and actresses. And they usually have terrible marriages because <laughs> there's, you know, so beauty is often only skin deep. Now that's, uh, you know, that's something we could say is true when it comes to physical beauty. It's often only phys- skin deep. And it, But why is it that when we see the beauty of a person that we think they must be an awesome person? Because really in our heart, we know that beauty is, is it's imprinted on our, us from our creator, that beauty is something deeper. Um, like when I see a beautiful picture of nature, uh, either you know, my own or somebody else's, I, I think, wow, I want to be there. I want to, I want to sit there because it's, it's, it's beautiful. But then again, I'm forgetting about the bugs and the might be cold or might start to rain or whatever, or that the, you know, there might be a, a, you know, a mountain lion about to attack me there or something like that. Cause that's forgotten because we see the physical representation of beauty, but is actually pointing us to something deeper than that physical representation. Hmm. Uh, That's a really good point, I think, because, uh, I mean, I'm just thinking in my own mind, I, I, mean, would, I mean, just to be a little honest, I mean, of course, you know, I think we all could say that, you know, we might look at one person and might look at another person and, you know, one person in our minds, right, is like, you know, maybe ugly. And the other right. one is beautiful, like to us, right? right? But, but, but it could be, so there's the physical representation, but then, I mean, it could be that beyond the physical, the one who looks beautiful really isn't all that beautiful, and the one who is ugly, so to speak, really is beautiful on the inside. And so it, it does seem to be that, that there is this superficial layer that needs to be peeled back whenever you're considering whether something or someone or whatever is is actually beautiful. And so it does seem to call to something beyond just what you can see with your eyes. I think I, I think I agree with that. It's still hard for me to process, but I think I agree with it. And when we're, when we're asked the question, you know, what is beauty? Uh, everybody could kind of get an idea of what beauty is in their head, but then to simply define that is a bit more difficult. Yeah. You know, if you ask people to write down their definition of beauty, if you ask people what they think is beautiful, they'll come up with examples. But if you ask for the definition of beauty, uh, you're going to be all over the all over the place. You know, it, people are not even what people think is beauty when they don't really have a true grasp of what beauty is. And we we've kind of lost it in art today. Um, in arts, you know, art has become something called self-expression. I mean, they're really knocking it down to just that their self-expression and that's not what art is art is based on this beauty that we could find but so much today about art is the shock value of it and that's not really art art's not shock value unless the shock value is whoa that's amazingly gorgeous or beautiful but people but there's this there's this crazy thing at our zoo uh i live uh you know, outside Omaha, Nebraska, and the Omaha Zoo is actually quite a zoo. It's 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 people don't realize it, but it's a uh, it's one of the top five zoos in the world. And I won't go into how they come up with that, but it's uh, 
but it, it's an amazing zoo. So, uh, but there they have these art things that some Japanese artists did, and they look like a combination between a human, a rodent, and a bear. And they're all painted crazy. I don't know if there's like a half a dozen or 10 of them around the, the zoo. And it's just, it's just, I, somebody got, Omaha has a lot of, people don't realize this, Omaha has a lot of money. And so there's a lot of donations and someone probably liked this. I'm sure they were all donated to the zoo by some guy who thought they were whatever, but they're ugly as snot. They're in our zoo for called art. And they're just, they're just really bad. If you want, I could send you a picture of one later and you can, but it just, they're just really bad. And, but first there, some of them are grotesque or disgusting, but people think they're, they're art and that's not art. Again, art, art is about beauty and, uh, and proportion and uh, equal and balanced and, and having an order to it. Cause God is a God of order and he's the author of beauty. And that's, you know, and symmetry is in there. Uh, it's all part of what is deemed beautiful because God is a God of order, you know, and so we see order in nature. So we know that God is a God of order. Um, and we, and, you know, creation apologists do a great job of saying how God is a God of order and we can't even reason about science if God doesn't exist because reason is a form of order and logic and without god existing how would we know what order and logic is uh because he he's created that and we could see that order and what really is truly beautiful what everybody will agree on is beautiful uh we'll we'll see that um and god put so much into it in his creation uh you know he created out of his glory and his splendor and uh, the great uh, theologian, Jonathan Edwards, he actually wrote about a lot about creation and God's hand in creation. And, you know, he lived, uh, what's almost coming to be 300 years ago. Uh, but he, he, uh, he said that God had created out of an extension of his glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God didn't just simply to create, to create. He created out of who he is. Uh, and the God that made the creation God made it and made in Genesis was truly a reflection of his glory and creation still uh, does this today. It's still, you know, it's still a reflection of a very creative uh, God, uh, a God of glory and God doesn't make junk and, and junk doesn't reflect God. Uh, God makes magnificence and he puts his glory into it. Uh, creation today is still magnificent. Uh, the creation in Genesis was even and more magnificent, you know, and we think when God didn't create junk, well, how did he create us then? You know, we're made in his image. And so how did he make all of us? You know, everybody's got God's beauty in it, in him, even if they don't choose to exhibit that. Uh, but he's created us to, and God's magnificent is magnificence is in us. Um, and that's yeah, I think that's a point that really shouldn't be shouldn't be missed or glossed over because you know I mean so many people in the world today are just um I mean broken you know like really broken people and and really 
people who take themselves for granted. And I mean, you just, you, you know, you see this where people don't think that they are in a deep sense, beautiful. And a lot of times for them, you know, they've defined that in an inappropriate way. They've defined beauty as looking a certain way, as opposed to beauty being made as an extension of God's glory and as, as, as an extension of God's beauty, but just being made in his image. Um, and that is something in itself that is objectively beautiful, that to be a human person is to be an imager of God. <laughs> and, yes. and, and, you know, this is why, again, some people don't maybe uh, communicate this appropriately, but, but this is why, you know, to, to be, to be a naturalist, the person who feels, you know, not beautiful, the person who feels, um, as if they're deeply flawed, if something like naturalism is true, um, then they have every right and every reason to think that that could be the case. But a Christian worldview provides you with something there that makes what it means to be human more meaningful and and beautiful, objectively. And and so a Christian worldview offers hope in that in that way yes. that uh, yeah. other other worldviews just can't. So it's, so what what I'm getting at is this is important from a very practical standpoint. Yes, it is because because. When we see that, even when we look around at nature, which is awesome, um, and we think about the God that created that, he created us too. And we're not junk. We're created, people People may have a low self-esteem when they, or whatever, you know, the, 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 the uh, psychological mumble jumbo or whatever, <laughs> when they say that stuff, but it's, but when we reflect on who we are in God and that he created us and he created this world, if he created this world, how could he create you and me? And uh, I'd like to say that God has a purpose in nature. We see that God, and this is kind of off the, a little bit off of the beauty, but God has a purpose for every leaf that falls from a tree. You know, it breaks down, becomes part of the soil, and then it's used again. If God recycles that, and has a plan for that, well, then he's got a p greater plan for those who bear his image, and especially those who believe. Yeah. Have purpose in that. We have, we have, he's created us for a reason. We're not, we're not junk. And, uh, and going back to this world, the way he designed it, he, uh, he designed it, he meant it for us to take pleasure in it and to enjoy it. Of course, we had the fall, it kind of ruined things, but not completely because God's greater than the fall. Uh, so he created this world to please our eyes and to stir our hearts, to draw us to him. Um, we, we have, there's something in creation that calls to us, tells us something about our, our purpose, our original. We were originally designed to live and a place of beauty, creation, the beauty of God's creation, and God would be there. And that place was Eden. And, and the closest thing we have to Eden today is, is nature. And so it's, it's written on our hearts. And so we, we, we pick up, you know, God touches us through that because that's what we're originally designed for as a paradise. And we eventually live in the paradise of heaven. 
uh, we're called to that. So um, I have a lot of stories on um, just a lot of examples in my life of being an outside. And to the, to the point about beauty, um, I, I was in Glacier National Park with a friend of, friend of mine. And we were, he and I were hiking uh, through to a place called Grinnell Lake. If people have been to Glacier National Park, they might recognize the name Grinnell from Grinnell Lake and Grinnell Glacier. Uh, but as we hiked, I just, it was just through the forest. Part of it was through the, the forest and it was just amazing. Um, and it was, it was a little bit, it was, a, it was not far from the lake. So it was somewhat of a wetland landed forest area. And it was just alive with buzzing and chirping and flowers. And it, it was just all alive. And then finally we got to the lake, which was kind of sitting in a mountain bowl. If you're familiar with that kind of, uh, feature in a geological feature. Um, and I, my friend went off in one direction. I went off in another and we were just going to spend time with God there. And I took out my journal and I began to write. And I was like, no, God, why did you, you make this beautiful? And I was like, evolution really doesn't have any good example for beauty. I mean, good reason for beauty. Why, why would there be beauty if it was all just random chance? And I began to play with these, these thoughts, um, and, and write about them in my journal. Why, why would God create beauty? I mean, why would, how, why would evolution come up with beauty? Um, we know God in a, creates beauty to, to point to himself. But uh, why is it we long for beauty? Why do we desire the beauty of a person or the beauty of art or the beauty of nature? And I began to play with these thoughts and evolution really doesn't have a great answer for this. Why on earth would we long for something that is a result of random chemical soup? Why would we long for this thing? Why would we long for, for this beauty? Uh, why would there be any beauty at all? Uh, beauty with our eyes, beauty with our ears. Uh, I, yeah. Why would there be? Yeah, you know, that, that's a really, um, that's a really good point. I was just thinking. Uh, I pulled it up here while you were talking. Um, there's a wonderful book that I did a series on when I first started this podcast back in 2017, um, called uh, "Searching for Adam: Genesis and the Truth About Man's Origin" and. It is uh, a bunch of different people collaborated on this. The general editor was Terry Mortensen um, over at Andrews okay. and Genesis. And um, one of the chapters, uh, and I, I, I'm not going to go back and look it up. I, I think it was written, um, I, I think it might have been written by Stuart Burgess. Um, and I'm not, I'm not entirely sure about that, but I think it might have been. And he, so he is an engineer from the UK. If this is who wrote this chapter, um, he is an engineer in the in the UK. And one of the things that they talked about in this uh, in this book is called purposeful over design. And huh. um, I really think, yeah, okay. So I, I actually was just back a couple pages. It is right. So the chapter it's chapter twelve, human anatomy, unique skills, and beauty. And it was written by Dr. Stuart Burgess. And um and one of the things that he talks about is the purposeful overdesign of man. Um, and basically the point, the the general point that is made is that humans are 
seem humans uh, seem to be created, and again, this could be applied to other things, but humans seem to be created with something that goes well beyond what is needed for mere survival. Ah, yeah. So, you know, evolutionary thought is, okay, well, well, things happen because this is what is needed to survive. Um, and so it's like the book says, the term purposeful overdesign is used to describe how humans do much more than just survive. It's, it's to see how it's designed with a high degree of functionality. And he goes on to talk about how uh, this is mentioned in the Bible. Um, and, uh, you know, he goes to give examples, uh, the unique, skillful hands of humans. Um, and uh, also... Um, there are uh, the unique fine skin of humans. And there, so there are all these things that unique facial expressions, um, you know, so there's these things that he goes through in the book to talk about how, how human beings in particular, because he's, he's an, an engineer and does a lot of engineering with respect to biological systems and such. Um, he uh, has pointed this out that it's like, there is way more here than what is merely needed for survival. And this is evidence that there was over-design, that there was design with an intended purpose that goes beyond the mere need to survive. And so I think that's a great point um, that you brought up there. Yeah. The whole beauty of nature is an over-design. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I agree. It's it's like why, you know, sure there are like flowers, the colors of flowers and the smell of flowers helps attract uh insects but there's other ways they they can attract insects too well for the insect has to eat for one th i mean it's just but the it's more than we i don't need to i'm not a bee i don't need to see a flower as beautiful or it doesn't have to smell sweet to me you know why did god even make our food sweet it tastes good they're, they're, i mean it's 10 o'clock there's 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 uh things like that that's all I would say. That's all part of that over design that he's mentioned. Uh, and, you know, he's placing it to the to desire beauty. And why did he, he do that? That's a complete over design, except if the beauty is, the, if beauty, especially the beauty of nature reveals something about God to us. And he is God as much as a God of beauty. Uh, and we long, we really long after God. Uh, even if we deny that, as Romans 1 would tell us, that we many people deny that, but it really it's there. And we long after God's work and, and we're created in God's image. So just as God created beauty, we desire to create beauty because we're made in his image. And that is the cornerstone of any art uh, uh, is that we want to create. There's some art that some drawing that's done to be descriptive and you know, to, to, you might want to show what something looks like, but then to create something that's beautiful, that's a desire within us to do that. Uh, and cause being part of us. And as I said earlier, eventually desire to live in the beauty of heaven. Right. Um, Man, that's a beautiful thought. Very good. So, um, and getting back to, back to Genesis, I think I've heard that before. Uh, <laughs> back to the beauty of Genesis. Uh, uh, as I mentioned, God, you know, created as, as, as um, uh, down into Edwards, an extension of his glory. And he designed a world to, to 
to please him and to please us. Uh, we have to remember that God created the, you know, the artist here and the beauty with a purpose. Uh, and his plan was that we would live here. Uh, the beauty, also the beauty we see is a reflection of God's imagination. His infinite imagination, because we know everything about God is infinite. Uh, so his creativity, his imagination is infinite. And the beauty and also all of nature reflects this creativity and diversity within God. And he created the beauty to show us. He created the beauty to show us who he is and to draw us to him. Uh, you know, think about it. What, what kind of mind, what kind of God would create such magnificence? You know, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier about the colors of a flower. You know, God created that. It doesn't have to be beautiful to me. Or in sounds in nature, a wolf's howl. I don't know if you ever heard a howl of a wolf, but it is, it is very a majestic sound that is so audibly pleasing to us. Uh, why does it need to be a, or an elk? I don't know if you ever heard an elk bugle. Same thing, just very beautiful sound. It doesn't have to be that way. I've, I've camped in Colorado in the fall and uh, at night we could uh, hear the elk bugle and it's very soothing. One, one time I have a, a photo uh, experience in a blind here in Nebraska, we have every, uh, it's going to happen soon, every, for about five, six weeks, but every spring we get this migration of these birds called sandhill cranes. They come through and there's like four to 500,000, four to 500,000 of them just flopped here in central Nebraska, near Kearney, uh, Nebraska is where they're at. And they're, they're, they're probably starting to show up slowly by now, but uh, I wanted to go photograph them. And there's some organizations that'll have blinds placed by the Platte River where they roost at night. And uh, you could pay to be in the blind to get great photographs as the bird com birds come in in the evening and then they'll leave in the morning and then you get pictures of them in the river and all sorts of things. But you're there, you're stuck there overnight because they don't want you to get out because you'll disturb the birds. So you have to sleep there. You know, you're just like you're camping. And the blinds are, are you know, have room for that, not much for two people. But um, staying there overnight, you heard cranes all night long, all night long. You couldn't get away from it because they were there. They, you know, even though, you know, 80% of them were asleep at any one given time, the other 20% were awake and they were making their, their, their vocalizations. And it was so soothing that you could fall asleep to it. And why does that have to be that way? You know, it's just like crickets. Everybody, most people think crickets are soothing. There might be someone else out there who doesn't, but most people think that noise is soothing. I love in the fall when we start turning the air conditioner off here and have the windows open at night. I love listening to the crickets. Yeah. Uh, it's very soothing. It doesn't have to be that way. And God, uh, John, John Eldridge, an author, uh, he wrote this book that, of a sacred romance. And he talks about how God romances us through these things. Oh. Um, and calls it the cicadas on a tree. He mentions the sunset, the, the crickets, and God is romancing us through nature's beauty. Oh man, um, that's a good thought. I, uh, I love, uh, I, I have not read that one. I've read, um, or I'm reading actually, um, when I can, uh, Desire by John. Yeah. I don't know if you the Journey of that. Desire. Yeah. 
man, that that's a that's a wonderful. Yeah, his he's really got some insight into that. You know, another example I was thinking about, and if you have more, yeah, by all means, continue on. But another example I was thinking of is a thunderstorm. Um, uh-huh. So many people, you know, you've got these noise machines and even these apps on your phone. I mean, I remember back when I was still living at home, um, I would uh, sleep in my room. I, I worked at Best Buy at the time, so I was all about having an awesome sound system and stuff. And so... What I would do when I went to bed at night, I, w- I had so I had surround sound and everything in my bedroom, and I would actually use a noise machine app on my phone to get it to play a thunderstorm, and I would play that through the, um, yeah, through the, through the surround sound in my room and, and go to sleep to it because it was just such a calming, soothing, awesome. yeah, you know, beautiful sound, and and even you know you hear the rolling thunder and you hear the 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 you know the lightning and. What's crazy is is these are things that in nature can even be. I mean, a storm can be potentially destructive or whatever. But right. yet, but yet there's there's a kind of an unexplainable objective beauty there that is just I don't know. There's something calming about it. Yeah, it. it I don't know. In the the same thing with the wolf. You know, you hear howling wolves like they could be up and see, be getting ready to get together to go on a hunt. Oh, good point. Yeah. But yet it sounds, it's beautiful. And I, and the, the elk, I mentioned the elk bugling that when the elk bugles, uh, they only do it for a couple months a year during the rut. And, the, and basically it is this bull elk telling, I'm the big boy. I'm the baddest in town. Don't come around me. I'll take care of you. Uh, or, or he's telling the, 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 the cow elks come over here. Hey, you know what, you know, and, uh, come by me, I'll show you. That, that's 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 what that is but yet for our our ears it's beautiful god injects this in there just to put this call out there uh to, to make us think about something deeper something greater um and in and i'm gonna get back to, to genesis genesis again because i uh i want to talk about in 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 Genesis one, when we have this word that's translated good and God said it was good and God said it was good and God, six times God said it was good. And the word, the Hebrew word that's being translated good is, is Tob. If I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's only three, three letters, T-O-B. So how could you go along with, go wrong with T-O-B by calling it Tob? <laughs> <laughs> But, I think yeah. the B sounds a little closer to a V in Hebrew, but I'm no expert, so something Tov, like that. Tov, Tov, maybe, Tov. You know what? I, I think it's spelled like that before, too. I think I've seen it as a Tov. Yeah. So it might be Tov. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I was, you know. <laughs> you were pretty, pretty no close. Anyways, it's like, because I was having a little trouble earlier today, right? Uh, but Tov or Tov, it's used six times. And it actually means pleasant agreeable and it's an and an expression of aesthetic delight uh wow. delight so god said it was good and when god met me it was good he was saying hey this looks cool <laughs> as you take that direct translation because of how it's translated other times and it's usually translated other the, that word is placed towards something physically beautiful often it's used towards women in the bible um 
or it's something pleasing to the eyes. Uh, but then the final time it's used, it's used with the modifier, meode, M-E-O-D, uh, uh, is the word. And that's what we translate very, only we turn it around, say very good. And the Hebrew was back the other way. It's, it's, it's good, very, uh, which happens a lot in the Romance languages as well, where they, they put the modifier and the, the noun different order. Uh, but um, so his, his, so it means tov, tov miod or miaud um, might be the pronunciation of that. This is that miod means muchness or abundance with, or force. And when it's combined in the translation of very good, it means it really emphasizes all what uh, the word tov was. You know, it's, uh, it's even a very great artistic delight. Uh, invokes feelings of pleasure in people. Now, it, that combination is only used, I believe, uh, four or five other times in the Bible, and it's always used for someone's appearance. Um, Bathsheba, uh, this word is applied, this combination is applied to her. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, when you're in high school and that one girl walks into your life and you're just like, ah, oh, you know, it's happened to everybody at one point <laughs> in her life or, or some girl and the guy walks into her life and, she, and it's just based on that physical appearance. Or when we're out and I'm out on, on a mountain somewhere out there in a morning taking pictures and I just look out and I see this vast creation of God and I just want to go. And it takes your breath away. And that's the word that God was using, the combination when he said it was very good. Uh, so he, he, he was in that combination. He's addressing the appearance of it. And it's just with something to just, you know, sit back and be in awe. Um, so it's, it's a special kind of powerful beauty. And that's the way God created, you know, how your wife looked on your wedding day, you know, and she's coming down the aisle, you know, that's, that's, on um, you know, uh, if I'm saying if I'm saying it correctly, uh, you're just like, wow, hey, um, that's what it is. And that's how God created it, just to kind of sit back and, you know, take it all in. Um, and those are the words that are being applied. Uh, and as artists, we need to, for those of us who are artists, uh, we need to strive for that, to strive for that sense of awe that we not shock too many so-called artists strive for, but, but more the sense of awe, the sense of to, to, to bring out feelings of pleasure in somebody. And, and when we uh, look at sometimes artwork, we can do that. Uh, I've seen work about every, of, of various artists that kind of did that. I remember when I went to uh, the Museum of Art in New York, uh, MoMA, it's called my, in the, in, this was back then, they just, the acronym for it. Uh, and I remember looking at some of those old paintings that were in there and just like, you know, you see little pictures of them, you know, you can see them on your website or even in a book, but then when you go there and you see this thing is like 10 feet by, you know, 10 feet by 15 feet and it's on a wall and it's like, oh my goodness, that thing is just, you're just taken back by it. And that's what we need to, to, to strive for in, in our in our arts, whether it's photography, sculpting, or painting, or drawing, because again, we're creating God's image, 
and part of what we God has created in his image, you know, is again, God's not physical, as I mentioned earlier. So we're, our physical appearance is not the image of God, but there's an imprint on our, on our soul, on our very being. That is, uh, that is what's given us to our, us by God. And that it, part of that is our, our desire to create. The earliest, every child is an artist. I heard somebody say that. Uh, some read that somewhere, that quote from uh, uh, somebody somewhere. Uh, but every child is an artist. You want to create stuff because it's in all of us. And a lot of us then go on to create with music or with writing uh, uh, and uh, more with our hands, such as sculpture and painting and with our eyes as a photographer. You know, that, and we, we, in us is to strive to create that beauty because that's how God created us huh. and to, to, to compete with that. So, yeah, that's uh, a great point. That's awesome. And God delights in his work and we need to create work we're going to delight in. Yeah. I that's mean, he, part he, of it. he created us to kind of, um, you know, attend to his creation. I mean, he, he created little creators, you know, I mean, yeah. we are, we are able to create, we are able to you know, bring things into existence, um, you know, I mean, in a sense, out of nothing. I mean, you know, we, we could form an idea in our mind and, you know, put it on paper and uh, it's, it's, it can, it, I mean, it has the potential to be beautiful just in virtue of, you know, who it's being created by. <laughs> it's amazing. Really, it's an amazing thought. Yes, that he, he's, because we're in his image and we're able to, to create, uh, because you know he he's given us that that ability to to strive for excellence to and just to to want to create that way uh, yeah uh and even when we look in the scripture and other places not I like to look at the nature but when God created uh uh had not when God created but when he had the artisans to create the the Ark of the Covenant and the tent of meeting and the, in the decorations and the utensils are in there, you know, they, they, uh, they strive for excellence. And even when Solomon was building the temple, you know, that's what they were doing. They were striving for that excellence. And that's how we need to strive for ours. You know, and when God created, you know, we know now how deep the heavens are, you know, the, the Hubble has taken us farther in and other, other the looking out there and there's billions of billions of galaxies and, why did God create all that? And, you know, he created, you know, just because simplification, personification, he created it that way just because he wanted to, you know, uh, he, he, and when I was, I did a lot of scuba diving years ago. And when I would do that, I would see this tremendous beauty. And I realized that, you know, very few people get to go underwater and see that beauty. You get pictures of it, video of it, but that's not the same. It never is. But to go underwater and see these things and experience these things is a special privilege. But why did God create that? Why did God create stars and planets that we'll never see? What? But he did it just out of delight to, to simplify it, to personify it, which the Bible often does when it talks about things of the Lord. It, it, it simplifies them to our understanding. But even us as artists, we, I know that many artists are out there. They'll put little things in their painting that no one will ever see. 
no one will ever pick up on, but it's there, but they do it because that's their pleasure. That's their delight. And that's what God did. You know, atheists will say, well, why are there, you know, 10 billion galaxies for God's delight? Just like, you know, you, an artist puts little hidden things in their art that, you know, maybe one person, well, look at that, you know, it's cool. And, and uh, I, I've done slideshows before where I sent them to music and didn't uh, put, turn them into videos. And there's a message in there that I don't know if anybody's ever going to pick up on, but it's something that I wanted to do. And even people who write music, um, especially the, you know, the great uh, uh, musicians of the Renaissance, uh, you know, they, they wrote these pieces to tell a story. Now, no one knows exactly what was going through their mind, you know, like Mozart. Or else he wrote it because he didn't put words to that, but he wrote a story with music and no one knows exactly what that story was and why he did it that way. And, and you know, or Beethoven or any of these guys, they, they all put stories in it and they all did little things that no one knew why, but they did it because they did it because that's what their pleasure was. And, we get that from God because that's what God did. When we look at those billions of galaxies or when we go down in the ocean, there's still things in the oceans we've never seen. Yeah. I put them there. So, yeah. Exactly. It's all there because for delight. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That sounds good. That sounds real good. Well, hey, I mean, what an awesome, <laughs> just what an awesome thought and what an awesome responsibility to to realize that we're that we're created in the image of the creator and um you know to get to take those liberties and to get to create things because we think they're beautiful and um it really does you know provide beauty seems in one sense intangible uh kind of in the same way we mentioned John Eldridge earlier um in the same way that desire seems intangible but yet it's something that calls to us kind of from beyond that which can be easily or immediately experienced. And yet it's such a basic, you know, part of our lives, you know, to, to, to see, to see the true beauty in things. So, um, man, that's, that's absolutely great. That's awesome. Were there any more thoughts about the actual, you know, kind of nature of beauty or anything that you wanted to share? Or, um, if not, I'd love to talk to you about some of those, uh, uh, we've talked about spiritual metaphors being in creation. And in fact, maybe this is a good time to just transition over there and you, you can yeah, sure. wrap up, wrap up any thoughts on beauty you want to. And then as we move over into this, but um, we've talked about this a little bit in the past uh, that, you know, nature itself kind of provides um, when, when we say beauty, it certainly does, but in a way that beauty speaks to us. And you actually started out by saying that beauty speaks to our heart. It speaks to our, um, our minds, it speaks to our souls. And I, I think that uh, that speaking can almost be taken very literally, uh, uh, in a sense, by some of these metaphors that God has given us in creation. Did you want to share maybe about, I don't know, one or two or three, whatever of those? Well, in, in, in the Bible, it uses, uh, I like to say the Bible you often uses nature to tell us something about God, either about his power when it talks about his creation or uses them as, as metaphors. Uh, and there's certain ones that I, I like to, to think about and look at. Uh, one that is, is on my, cause I just wrote, I'm writing this devotional that I'm, I've mentioned to you earlier about, uh, it's, uh, called beyond Genesis and it's, 
experiencing the God of creation beyond the book of Genesis in the Bible. Uh, and one thing that I devotion, I just entry I wrote for that recently was on uh, the Bible calling God a rock. And uh, it, it calls God a rock uh, the 19 times, I think it is the total. And David, the David, I think, does it 12 times in the Psalms, calls God a rock. Well, what, is, what does that mean? Well, when we think about David, and that's a metaphor, okay, it's this metaphor because God's not a rock. We know that. He's, he's alive. He's going. But something about a rock can tell us something about God or what ways is God a rock? Uh, and, you know, David, uh, Psalm 18, I think in Psalm 22, you know, he says, God is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. Uh, so when we think about the life of David, he spent many of his years being chased by Saul in the Judean wilderness. And I have not been to the Judean wilderness, but I've been to the American Southwest and the desert rock formations there. And when we look at those rock formations, they're, they're huge. They invoke power and strength. Even, even when I've, I've, I've hiked on them, put your hand on that rock, you feel it's solid. So, and it's, you're standing on it and it's stable. It's, it's stable. So God is our rock. He's stable. David in the, uh, in the, in the, the different nooks in the rocks and the cracks in the rocks and the passages in the rocks, he found shelter. He found caves. He found hiding areas from Saul. Uh, and, you know, a rock is a shelter. It can shelter us from the storm. All we need to do is find that little crevice and just go, go in that and, and hide out from a storm. Or there's a lot of things that a rock can do, especially when we stand on a, on a rock. We can stand on that thing or... I mean, we get this big view, we climb up and you stand on the, and I'm not talking about, you know, your, your rocks on your, in your, in your landscaping. I'm talking about the rocks David saw in the desert. I mean, there's huge mountainous kind of formations. And that's what we see in the American Southwest in Utah and, and Texas, where I've been there and in New Mexico and places like that. I mean, these are, these are rocks. And God is my rock. When you look at that, go to the Grand Canyon and think of God as my rock. And you'd be like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, or into, yeah. And these, these, these places, and it gives you a whole other appreciation of, about God. Now, just like anything else in this finite world in our finite mind, it can't quite explain an infinite God, but it tells us something about him. And so when you think of God as our rock, think of this big, thing you could stand on you could you could find shelter and you could you that's solid that's strong that's stable you know in our mind it's everlasting when i look at rocks in the desert but we know they're not but the same rocks david saw you know uh three thousand years ago i could go and see those same rocks they're still there maybe they crumbled a little bit but really they're still there uh and so to our human mind they're they're everlasting and god is everlasting and he's stable. Um, you know, another thing we often, in the scriptures, it gives us uh, uh, images of, of mountains to say something about God. Um, Psalm 68, 16 talks about the mountain, God's abode. Um, you know, it says, uh, oh, mountains with many peaks at the mountain which God has desired for his abode. So why, why does God want to live or, you know, in the mountains? 
Well, what does that tell us about God? Uh, again, mountains are a place we could find sanctuary, but they're so majestic and magnificent. So it's God lives where magnificence is, or God is magnificence. God is majesty. What what other metaphor, better metaphor on earth can we have than this, you know, think of the Rocky Mountains if you've ever been there, or even in North Carolina where you live, those mountains there. Uh, they're not the same, but they still have a lot of majesty and and just awe-inspiring in us. So God is awe-inspiring. And, and, and I, re- I remember many times just standing on an overlook, looking over the mountains and just being like, oh, wow. Oh, having that, that, that Tove Miod feeling, you know, that very good, you know, yeah, this is very good. I want to look at it. So, so mountains can tell us something about God. And there's, there's many verses in the Bible where mountains are metaphorically used to say something about God. Uh, um, another, yeah, another one is eagles. You know, everybody likes uh, Isaiah, um, where it talks about rising up on, uh, on wings of the eagles. Uh, but that's also another passage. Psalm 103 um, talks about uh, renew, being renewed like the eagle. Uh, there's something about that, that, that spiritual metaphor. Have you ever seen a, an eagle fly? Uh, just to see it soar. My, my wife loves bald eagles, and I like bald eagles too, but she's, that's one of her her natural nature passions uh is bald eagles and they're quite majestic birds even when they're not flying yeah even when you're sitting on the ground they're just like they look like very regal like they own the place and then put them in the air and they're just you know it's beyond it's like wow uh it's awe-inspiring it's it and it you know there's tells us too that there's something greater than the ego out there when we just look at it because the ego is great but it inspires us in such a way that there's something greater than the eagle, but going back to the metaphor, the Bible often uses that, that, that majesty of the eagle, that strength of the eagle, that the flight of the eagle, you know, um, it, it says that God um, took the Israelites out of Egypt on eagle's wings. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm forgetting the verse on that, but that's, that's, uh, that's, that's a metaphor because God's not an eagle or he, he covers us with his pinions. Uh, his wings, his feathers. Yeah. God doesn't have feathers. He's not a big bird, but that's telling us something about how that eagle shelters its young with its with its wings. Uh, you know, I I remember seeing a a, a trail cam or a, uh, it's not a trail cam, but one of those cameras, web cams they put in an eagle's nest, and there was a picture of this eagle uh, with its chick. And the, the, the adult still had blood on its beak from whatever the last meal was. But it's being very tender with the chick. And I just can't, it, here's this animal that is powerful and great, yet still tender with its own. And God is obviously powerful and great, but tender with his own. With his own. Uh, so that's a, another spiritual metaphor of nature. That's another spiritual metaphor drawn from nature, telling us something about God. He's powerful. He's great. Yet he's tender with his own. Um, Man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's just, it's really, and that even just those few examples go to show that nature is just an endless source of, um, of discovery. Uh, 
uh, about God. I mean, you know, it's like why one of my favorite things to do is go to science museums. And it, sadly, w- when you're there, you know, you a lot of times they are um, a, a monument to all things anti-God and uh, in, in what they write. But in what they display, in what they display, you can see God's beauty and splendor all throughout. And it's just like it, it always inspires me in that way towards having a greater appreciation for God as creator, even when I go to the secular science museum, um, because you just you, you get to learn so much about what God has actually created and what God has done in nature. And um, so, man, I, I think that's absolutely a, a wonderful and a, uh, a worthy thing to, to do is to, to be an explorer of nature and to find ways to, uh, to understand how God wants to speak to us through the different um, creatures and formations and beautiful people that he has made. So, um, man, I really, I really love that. Do you have anything specific you want to share about what it's like to, I mean, you developed a, a passion, you said, for nature photography. <clears throat> Um, is there anything about that that you want to, you know, speak to? I mean, I don't know. I mean, what, what you enjoy about it, what you think, you know, why you think others should get into it. I don't know anything along those lines. Um, I think it's a great way to, to share something of your experience, uh, to, 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 to capture that beauty. And I would encourage people to, cause I see a lot of, uh, I'm on some Christian photographer sites and I see a lot of uh, photography that, that people put out there that, you know, it's not very good. Um, and, but I would say, you know, take delight in, in, in what you're creating. And even though it's not very good, take delight in it. But I would also encourage people to pursue excellence. So if you like photography and you want to, to display your work, pursue excellence, uh, just like in any form of art. Sure, you start. Um, uh, where did I leave the? Michael Hyatt quotes this in one of his books, and I forgot who, who, who the actual person who said it is. And it said, uh, uh, "If anything's worth doing, it's worth doing badly." Uh, <laughs> so, the point is, it's it's worth doing and learning, in, in, in growing in, in that, and so. Yeah, if you you can't do it great, you know, start out to, and and do it. Uh, begin your process. Strive for excellence. Don't don't settle for mediocrity. If you can do better, do better. Learn in photography. You know, the, the learn how to use all those bells and whistles on your camera, your f stop, your shutter speed. Your how do I control that? How do I do that effect? How do I create that effect? Um, how do I make water look like it's moving when I take my picture, but then really like soft look to it, you know, explore these things, learn these things. Cause, cause the, the greater you know, the greater satisfaction you will get. Uh, if you get satisfaction out of just taking with your phone with the click, well, how much more satisfaction are you going to get when you really learn how to do it and do it well? Um, it's just like, you know, just like anything else in that area. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, I've been, as I mentioned, John Eldridge talked about the book, uh, The Sacred Romance was written by him and a guy named Ben Curtis, who's, who passed away actually shortly after that book was written. But um, 
he's talking about the romance and I, and I experience, you know, the romance of God when I'm out there taking pictures and it's just a way for, for him to connect with me through that, that vehicle, that, that with the camera and experience his, his peace as I, as I photograph that piece of nature. Uh, so that's some, something and just spending time doing it. Just don't step out of the car and click and go back in the car, explore, go do. And, and as we, as we spend time with it, that's also building the excellence that we're striving for, but it's also taking pleasure in that time, finding peace in that time, uh, uh, and discovering what God would have to say to us in that time. Um, Man, that's some awesome thoughts. <clears throat> yeah, that, that that's great. I appreciate I appreciate you sharing that. It's something that a lot of people, myself included, sometimes I don't have the patience for just because I mean, you know, you can take a pretty nice photo just snapping and clicking with your iPhone real quick. So yeah, you know, they, they've made it that way. Um, you know, they, they've made it that way. But uh, I I do, um, you know, I have friends who who go beyond that and they'll go get you know really nice cameras and actually really spend some time learning how to use it and and get out there and just do it. So. I think if you're at all interested in that, uh, Pat just shared some really dynamite advice, I think, for you there um, to, to take with you. Pat, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this. Yeah. And this is this is going to be, sure. man, this is going to be a great thing uh, for our audience to, uh, to to hear about. And I love I love your passion. <laughs> your, your passion for it is certainly clear, both for the photography and for uh, just uh, seeing this objective beauty in nature. So. Again, I appreciate that. All right, everyone. Well, I certainly hoped you enjoyed that interview with my buddy, Pat. Hey, listen, if you've listened this far, I, I want to make sure you know that Pat actually has a new devotional book coming out June 6th, which is a Tuesday. And you can find this book. It's called Drawing Near, Meeting God and His Creation. It is a... um a devotional book that helps you get closer to God's creation through his work in photography. And you can go to his site, visualverse.thecreationspeaks.com. And that's where you can interact with Pat and, and see a lot of his stuff. But also if you go to that website and then you say slash devotional dash book, and I'll put the link in the description as well. You can Find updates for the book there and all the links to go ahead and pre-order that. Again, it's coming out on June 6th, so pre-order is ready to go, and I would love for you to grab that. It would mean a lot to me, and I know it would mean a lot to Pat as well. God bless everyone. Thank you so much for listening to The Winsome Creationist, and we'll see you next time.